book of 2 Kings is where we're going to be today, 2 Kings chapter 2. And you'll know, and I'll go ahead and confess to you, I'm skipping chapter 1. And the reason I'm skipping chapter 1 is because the content found in chapter 1 we, uh, we, we talked about last week. It's, it deals with Elijah and, and calling down some destruction and fire. And we talked about how you deal with judgment in Scripture. Uh, today is the last week that we're going to focus on this series of Elijah together. And in today's message in 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll note that this is the end of um, Elijah's life on earth. Elijah is one of two characters in Scripture that we find never really has any recording of of his death. Uh, Enoch and Elijah, both of them just sort of disappear. And Elijah goes out in a blaze of glory in this story. Um, but here in, in the context of 2 Kings chapter 2, we are looking at the end of Elijah's life. And uh, at least on earth. And it's often at death or near the end of life that we tend to refine our lives by focusing uh, our attention on things that matter. We heavily consider towards the end of life, I think, what we do with our time, places we go, people we visit with. You know, when I look at uh, Scripture, some of my favorite portions of Scripture are um, the last moments of someone's life. Um, Jesus, some of my favorite passages of the Bible, John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, the last six hours Jesus spends with his disciples in the most intimate of settings where they're celebrating the Passover in the upper room. Or, or a book like Second Timothy where Paul knows that he's about to meet the end of his life and he writes that letter to Timothy. If you had just a few days left to live, how would you spend it? And what would you do? Who would you spend it with? Can, can I encourage you that those goals towards the end of our days that may be noble, if we knew that we just had but a few hours or a few moments, days left, those noble pursuits in life, don't wait to the end to do them. And if they're honoring, if, if, if they're worthy, if they're good, um, they should really be a part of uh, our everyday lives. And when you look in 2 Kings chapter 2, um, honestly, the life of Elijah, knowing that he's about to meet his end, he doesn't, he doesn't really do much different than what he had done with his life previously. He may intensify the amount of what he does, but it's a pretty similar routine to uh, what he had, had done throughout his life because Elijah knew life matters. Not just his, but those around him. And in Second Kings chapter 2, first six verses, it begins like this. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take you away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, 
I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. In case the the naming of Elijah and Elisha get a little confusing in this story. And you see, they're, they're starting off here in Gilgal, and, and Elijah wants to go on further into this journey and tells Elijah, Elisha to stay, but Elisha refuses. He, he wants to be present, and as he continues to travel, the, the prophets uh, in, in each town come out and tell uh, uh, Elijah that his master is going away. And Elijah says, be still. I like the uniqueness of this moment that is, this is not something done privately that God has shared, not only with Elijah and Elisha, uh, that Elijah's days or moments are numbered, but he's sharing this with all of God's prophets as if to say, here comes God's wisdom into your town. Don't let this moment pass you by. This is precious. One last moment to, to meet this man of God. To allow him to impart and pour into your life. And knowing that God had revealed this to the prophets, they go to Elijah and they tell him this. And, and Elijah's response is just, shut your mouth. <laughs> right? I mean, he doesn't want to think about what is to come. He just, he just wants to live in the moment because he knows what's about to take place. Just like the prophets gather around Elijah. Uh, Elijah. So Elisha just wants to saturate in these final moments with, with his, his, the one that, that mentored him, discipled him, led him uh, before God, showed him the power of this great God. Elijah doesn't do much different with his life towards the end than what he had done previous. He just takes a heavier dose of it. Now, I think in this story, Elijah knows that God is going to take his life as soon as he crosses the Jordan. But rather than take that route directly across the Jordan, Elijah goes on this journey and he begins to visit these particular towns. And um, these towns are towns where the prophets are known to be trained. It was thought that, that the prophet Samuel had, had set these locations up in order to, to train prophets. And what Elijah is demonstrating in his life towards the end of his days are, are the same things that he showed to us on Mount Carmel when he called down fire. If you remember that story together, uh, we read how Elijah, in, in those moments as he goes on, on the, the Mount of Carmel, and, and these false prophets are leading these worship ceremonies to their false god, that Elijah then, before God calls down fire and, and, and lights the altar of his sacrifice, he prays. And his prayers for Israel. He sees a nation created on the promises of God that has have forsook this God and had a civil war and were divided. And he's in this, this northern kingdom of ten of the tribes, ten of the twelve tribes, and, and, and not one king was a godly king. His heart is for their souls. And so knowing that this is the end of his life, where does he go? He goes to the prophets. Because he understands that these prophets, from these prophets will come ministries that will help lead God's people. To encourage them. To sort of pass on the torch. To see them become who God has called them to be. Guys, can I remind you that our position is no different that God has you in a place in this world and as he works in your life, he has called you to be a light of encouragement to people around you. We say as a church that we should celebrate. 
Because what we celebrate, we replicate. It creates a particular culture to take time in the lives of people and to encourage them on down the paths that God has called them. And not only was Elijah meeting with these people, but I think that not, not only is it meeting with people that's important, but, but the location in which he chooses to do this also carries significance. It, it tells us in this story that when Elijah goes to meet these prophets, he meets them in the location where these schools are, but he meets them in cities that have, or towns that have a very particular meaning to the people of Israel and Gilgal and, and Bethel and Jericho. To Israel, Gilgal is a place of beginning. If you read the story of of Israel, they're called by God through Abraham to become a nation that blesses all people. And they're taken into slavery in Egypt. And then, and then God sets them free, free through Moses. And, and in Moses, they still have this, this longing towards false idols. And so God takes them through this wilderness for 40 years. And finally, finally, under Joshua, they cross the Jordan into the promised land. And the first town they camp is Gilgal. It says in Joshua 4, 9, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped in Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. And here they are listening to the Lord and their leader, Joshua. A place of God's promise fulfilled. A place of new beginning in the Lord. A place where they have finally reached this promised land. Not only... Was Gilgal important to Israel? Not only is this location just a place of a beautiful reflection of the identity of God, God also brought them to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. This is where Abraham built an altar to the Lord and and dedicated himself. And it wasn't just one time at at Bethel where Abraham meets with God, but this became a location where God continued to meet with his people, where they laid their lives down for his glory and to their benefit. In fact, in Genesis 12 and verse 8, talking about Abraham, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Look, just a few chapters later, look how God identifies himself. I am the God of Bethel. This place of intimacy. This place of connection before God. And last, Elijah visited Jericho. Mind you, he could have just gone straight across the Jordan where the Lord was going to take him. But he then makes his way to Jericho. And Jericho is the place of battle. It's the first place where God's people had driven a formidable wedge against their opposition. Jericho to the Hebrews was what D-Day was to the Americans or to us as Americans in World War II. It was storming the beaches of Normandy. It's where they see the faithfulness of their God as, as they walk in faith in the battles ahead of them. It's where God shaped their identity first as a nation when they uh, first step in faith into this, this promised land and fight their first battle under the Lord. Not only were these places important to the Lord, but I think they also provided opportunity for Elijah to reflect. Being with the people that he loved in significant places of his 
nation. Elijah, walking this path, it really reveals where his own heart is. You think about Elijah's life, we've learned together that Elijah was not perfect. He had battles. He stood against Ahab in the Kareth Ravine. At one point, he became suicidal in his thoughts. But he remembers where he's been and how he ended up there. I mean, maybe Elijah could have used those moments to reflect in the same locations where God had showed himself to the nation of Israel, how God had showed himself in his own personal life. Gilgal being a place of beginnings, how in the beginning of Elijah's story in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, when Elijah comes before Ahab and he declares his name, uh, his, his name is Elijah, which means God is his Lord or the Lord is his God. His identity, rather than in himself or anything else, belongs to the Lord. We all need a Gilgal. A foundation for which we find who we truly are. And not only that, Elijah, uh, he he travels from there to, to Bethel. And he thinks of the places where he met God. He poured out his soul. And it wasn't perfect moments. It was in the brokenness that he meets the Lord and he worships him. In the Kareth Ravine. The birds feed him in the drought. Zarephath, where he depends on the hands of a widow to find his, his Lord faithful. Or what about Jericho? He goes on top of Mount Carmel in this large moment of spiritual warfare. Or when he finally confronts Ahab and Jezebel and declares that God is going to take their lives. It is a battle. What about your story? These towns mark the hand of God in the way he works. That the same God that met his people in those locations is the same God that meets you in yours. Where is your Gilgal? Your Bethel? Where is it that you've given your life to God or the place that you continue to meet with him? And what about in those battles that you faced? How has God shaped you in him? And as you think about these locations, it, 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 I think it's important for us to not just see these as events and places, but, but to recognize the, the God behind all of them. You know, our, our tendency sometimes when we read these Bible stories is that we isolate them as stories left unto themselves. And we, we fail to see the great grandeur of God's story as he shows himself faithful from beginning to end. That yes, these may be stories that, uh, <clears throat> that are isolated, but, but there is a far larger story in which God has created for all of us to see in his, his goodness through him. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, God records to the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and the first church he writes is to the church of Ephesus. And in that story in chapter 2, he writes of all the good things that Ephesus has done. But in verse 4, he says this very unique thing. He says, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. It's interesting how we as people react in times of blessing. Israel 
faltered in these moments. That They go into this promised land. They see the great hand of God on them during the days of David and Solomon. And, and before long, rather than look to God, they look at, to those blessings as an end in themselves. And they leave their first love, which is the Lord. That's where Israel gets off track. But I, I'm reminded throughout this series together, one of the things that I've said to us is God uses good things to encourage us. And God uses hard things to change us. You know, guys, if I added a final thought to that, I would just say for us, but in all those things, it's crucial that we see the Lord. His hand. There's a story of a father who was... um, in a hospital. He contracted this particular illness where he wasn't allowed to have any human contact. But he loved his son. And this father, unable to spend at least a few days with his child, he was able to get his hands on this um, toy and he constructed it for his child and he gave it to the nurse. And from his hospital room, he actually had a a view where he could look down to the bottom floor. He was located on the third floor and he could look down to the entryway into the hospital. And he hands this toy to the nurse and knew that his son was going to show up to the hospital that day, even though he couldn't uh, have contact with him. And he asked the nurse to give it to his son. And he sees uh, his, his wife and child walk in and the nurse goes down and hands it to the son. And the boy's so excited. And he looks at his mom with excitement and hugs her. He looks at the nurse with excitement and hugs her. And all the while, the father's just staring from his hospital room and just says, just look up. Just look up. The father wanting to connect with the son and the love that he demonstrates through the gift. Right? And eventually the son looks up and, and sees the expression on his father's face. And they rejoice in the love expressed through that gift. We tend to fail when we see the bigger picture. Or we, we fail to, to not see the bigger picture, I should say, of God in all things. But rather, God calls us to look up. You know, we as people want reason to justify our existence. To fight the universal fear of living life with meaninglessness. But when we fail to see the goodness of God in those things, that is the very trap that we fall into. It's where Israel failed and faltered in the blessings they received from God. Unfortunately, the things that we choose can often become toxic to our souls when we fail to see the goodness of our God behind it all. To quote Rocky Balboa. (laughs) Um, Rocky in one of the movies, his girlfriend, I think it was one of the first ones, his girlfriend uh, asks him, why go the distance, Rocky? I don't know if she said it like that. It was probably too masculine there. But why go the distance, right? It's, I mean, you know the pictures of Rocky, horrible makeup job in those early films. It's all busted up. And he says this, so I know I'm not a bum. <laughs> Rocky made his battle athletics and he sees athletic achievement as what gives him meaning to life. Here's the problem. We don't see the Lord. While battles can be helpful, you aren't your battles. The reason I think this is important for us to know is because uh, you will not walk in victory in every battle you face. Elijah certainly didn't. 
If you find your identity simply in the battle itself and not the Lord behind all those things, if you find your identity in the battle, it will lead to, to, to despair if you fail because your identity is gone. Or worse yet, pride if you succeed. Looking down on others. Thinking about this this past week, reading um, authors like C.S. Lewis and and, and Tim Keller and and Jonathan Edwards, all of them uh, express thoughts on the danger of self-grandeur and how it is the enemy of humanity. Life about my glory rather than the Lord's glory. If we fail to see the goodness of God in the things that we have in our lives, if, if, if I find identity in the things around me rather than beyond those things in the God who has created me, if, if I find, for example, my identity in, in being a good parent, I have no true self. I am just a parent. And if something goes wrong with my children or parenting, then there is no me left. I, I, I will be a failure. If my kids don't live up to my expectations, I walk in the identity of failure. If my battle in identity is to conquer business or, or, or become wealthy, yet I end up broke, I'll be in despair. Or worse, if I succeed, I'll walk in pride looking down on those around me that aren't as good as me. If my highest goal in identity is in a relationship and that relationship doesn't work, I fall apart. Or worse yet, if it succeeds, my identity is no higher than what that other individual thinks of me. There are an infinite variety of ways to measure our identity as people. Some get it by wielding power. Others from human approval. Some from self-discipline and control. Everyone is building their identity on something. But identity apart from God, it's inherently unstable. Without God, our sense of worth may seem solid on the surface, but it, it never is. It can desert you in a moment. And not only, not only is the idea of self-grandeur toxic for our own soul, it becomes toxic for the lives of people around us when we live for that purpose apart from God's glory. If, if your highest goal is, is, is the good of your own family, then our tendency will become to, to care less about other families. If our highest goal is the good of our nation, our tribe, or our race, We'll have the tendency to become racist or nationalistic. If our, if our ultimate goal is individual happiness, then we'll put our own economic power and interests ahead of others. If we, if we battle in politics and get our worth from political position, then politics really isn't our, it's not about politics. It's about us masked behind a political cause where we get our own worth. And in so doing, we despise and demonize the opposition. If we get our identity from an ethnicity or, or socioeconomic status, then we feel superior to other classes and races. If you're a moral person, you see yourself as superior to people that are licentious in life. If anything along that way threatens your identity, you'll not just be anxious, but paralyzed with fear. However, in Jesus... Your identity is never threatened. 
in God, our, our ultimate good or life center, we will find our hearts drawn out to, to not only uh, us, but, but to all families and people and races and class, the whole world in general, blessed from the identity of losing ourselves to the glory of God, it becomes to the benefit of all people. Because nothing in this world becomes my identity. But Jesus alone. No matter what your goal is in life, it doesn't matter if it's God or not, no matter what your goal, goal is, you'll always fall short. You'll never achieve the highest or the, the end goal, or you, you, you at least shouldn't. Your goals are high enough if not, but, but we're flawed. But even in Jesus, in our flaws, in our sins, you're incredibly loved. Jesus meets us in our sin, makes us new. We belong in him. And every day transforms our life. You know, the thing that made Elijah so powerful, different than the rest of the nation, the, ne- the rest of the nation sees the, the results they achieve physically in this world as an end of themselves. But Elijah saw the God behind it all. The Kareth Ravine, Mount Carmel, Zarephath, Gilgal, Jericho, Bethel. And he didn't think how great he was. But how great God was. If you have Elijah's view on our circumstances, you're never your successes or your failures. But rather you are the Lord's and your identity is greater Church, we don't get our victories in places that leads to pride or despair. But we find our victory in Jesus who makes us new in him every day. I think that's why in the book of Lamentations, if you ever read the book, it's a book of weeping. Or excuse me, it's Ecclesiastes, I should say. I hope I wrote it down as, I wrote it down as Lamentations. It's Ecclesiastes. He says this, he says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Every morning, you're not your failures. You will fail, but you're not your failures. You will succeed but you're not your successes. You were created for God and his glory. You belong to him. Your identity is deeper than those things, and which is why they can say in this passage, every morning, every morning, new am I in you, God. You are my portion, says my soul. I have hope in you. In Psalm 51, verse 10, it says this, create me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. How do we know? How do we know if things grip our lives rather than God? How do we know if if we can see beyond the temporal things of this world and we really live for his glory? Can I just give you maybe one thought as it relates to this text to measure ourselves? Is whether or not you can celebrate when other people succeed. you have idols in your life that you long for and you see the success of someone else in that area, what, what happens? Resentment, bitterness, jealousy, or celebration? 
When your life turns to celebration over the success of others, the things that you think matter to your own life, it determines what leads your heart, the idol or the Lord. In fact, I would say one of the things that just lets us resonate with this idea is what happens here at the end of 2 Kings chapter 2. In verse 7, it talks about Elijah's desire from here. It says, Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it, which is his cloak. Uh, It symbolizes the power of the Lord. And he folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. The river separated. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Here's what Elijah is asking. Because of you, Elijah, I've seen the possibility of what God can do with our people. Perhaps God could double that. In a world where Elijah lives for his own glory, he would say, no way, sucker, I'm going down as the greatest man in history, right? Rather, Elijah's heart is not there. Because his concern is God's glory. And goes on from there and says, he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and, and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elijah receives, based on what Elijah says here, this double portion. Through Elijah... Elijah was introduced to the possibility of what God could do for his people if his people would turn their hearts to him. God is the one who must answer what Elijah's prayer is. How great a work God could do. I think about the life of Elijah going into these, these moments that Elijah walks into Israel in the midst of just darkness. And he lays a foundation for the Lord to work through his people. God uses him as that tool. And that foundation becomes the platform for which the next generation could be blessed. Guys, when I think about our church in terms of this story, I see ABC as a groundbreaking place for his glory. Our hearts for his glory. And that foundation that we leave becomes a place where God can build upon that for things to come, for generations to be blessed. Granted, it's determined by what that generation does with what they've been given, but it's your hand that passes that torch to make it about self or his glory. How do you get there? When other people succeed, What rests in your heart? To celebrate or to be jealous? Do you see the God beyond your circumstances? Do you see the things that you do in your life as an end in themselves? Or do you see them rather as the hand of God pouring out his blessing? Do you look up? Is your position in this world for your glory or for his? Have you met God in Gilgal? 
Have you had that new beginning? Do you have a place of Bethel knowing our hearts battle? Our hearts wrestle to let go of the gods of this world, to live for the one that matters. Do we find his glory over us in the Jerichos? Guys, I can tell you the answer to all of this is very simple. It's die to self. And the death of ourself, we live for a far greater glory because the glories that we make out of our own self-grandeur, it not only robs us for the joy for which we were created, it robs the lives around us because we make life about self and we use other people to get there. But when we see the goodness of Christ, who's laid his life down for us, he's already given it all. So in that goodness, we can die to ourselves to live for a greater purpose in him. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.